the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, January 22nd. It's part two of our State of the Union covering all things that have happened at this 2023 Australian Open. Of course, on part one of this show, we caught all of you listeners up on all of the action that's unfolded in the women's singles draw here in part number two. We want to talk about the chaos that is the men's singles draw. Of course, Rafael Nadal was knocked out early in this event by Mackenzie McDonald. Casper Root knocked well, out really early. by himself. But oh, yeah. Sure, well said, and you hear who's joining me already, <laughs> but knocked out early in this event as well is second-seeded Jensen Brooksby. Certainly, you look at the results of late. Daniil Medvedev knocked out of the top half. It feels like things outside of Novak Djokovic, fairly open. And it is also worth noting we will have a first-time Australian Open finalist guaranteed by the top half of the men's singles draw. With all of that in mind, as you listeners can tell, there are plenty of storylines for us to break down here on today's show. It's why we decided to divide today into a two-part show. And if we're going to try and break all of that down, you know it always helps me to have some help along the way. Thankfully, I have exactly that as joining me on today's show is a returning champion here at Cracked Rackets, a man who's writing you know best from the websites crackedrackets.com from Last Word on Tennis, his all about tennis blog. Of course, he's been writing throughout this 2023 Australian Open for our friends at the Action Network. It's our dear friend, David Gertler, joining us to break down the Australian Open men's singles draw. David, Welcome back to the show. Week two is ahead of us. You excited, my friend? Yeah, I, I mean, last night was a bummer for me because my <laughs> Giants lost. Um, that was a disaster. Daniel Jones looked like he regressed. You know, two. what's the saying? One step forward, two steps back. With That's what it <laughs> felt like last night. Um, I, you know, the... I will say, not to say I told you so, but... Iga and Coco losing on the same night was a little poetic uh, <laughs> justice for me. I can't, of course, right when I start trusting uh, Coco on my Action Network uh, article, I can't ever get her right. Uh, the pit in the round before I picked against her, she beat Bernarda Pera in straight sets. And then last night, I finally, I was, I was impressed with what I saw. I, I really thought she was at a high level, but I just, I let, my oversight was that quick court, big hitter just doesn't work with her. And I said, and I'm curious what you think before we get to the men. Um, yeah. I am curious because I, because I, um, I, I proposed, I was thinking about it this morning, this morning. And I think that her best chance to win a major is on clay, but Igus is best surface is clay. And we know that matchup difficulty. Does it not, is it not worrying you a little bit? You know, big hit this again, the big hitter. Well, this is a fascinating tangent and an excellent tease for why listeners should go check out part one of today's mini break podcast where I discuss this very topic with David Kane and Double David Day here on the mini break podcast. Love Ooh. that. Um, I think what we're seeing at this Australian Open 
And I'm not sure if it's a rising trend, something we need to note heading into this 2023 season, or whether it is happening in a vacuum. And because all of these players are so fresh, they're capable of playing their best tennis. But what we see in the women's draw is just the absolute optimal conditions and optimal form of some of the premier power tennis players in all of women's tennis. And you know I like to joke about Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club. It's a running bit (laughs) we have here on this show. You had a couple members of that club bringing their best tennis really throughout the course of this Australian Open thus far. Now, obviously, last night, Rabakina played elite power tennis. I said this with uh, David Kane. She was down 40-15 in each of the first two games. And in each of those instances, it was two straight winners that got her out of the jam. You know, for Ostapenko, oh my God, it wasn't that she overwhelmed the golf forehand, which she did, but it was the pace with which she played through the backhand wing to open up the forehand that was so remarkable from Ostapenko last night. Here's the thing though, David, am I concerned big picture? Not yet. And here's why. There's about six women in all of women's tennis who are potential or current members to Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. And you're seeing some of them here this week. You've got, obviously, uh, we, we mentioned them already, Rabakina, who won the slam at Wimbledon last year. She's a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Ostapenko, who hasn't made a quarterfinal since 2018. But guess what, folks? The lights are flickering at her house in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. We know what she's capable of. You have Arena Sabalenka, who has been a longtime caddy, has had weekend privileges, which is at the country club, but seems like she might be on the precipice of full-time membership. Caroline Garcia, maybe not elite power tennis, nor Belinda Bencic, but with how early they take the ball, how aggressive they are, they're allowed to golf on weekends as well. It's what about just Maddie? Like, you know, that's another one who, of course— you know, her and Nisimova, there are other power. Junction Wen is a little bit young, but like right now, capable of playing that elite brand of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. I think the list is Rabakina, Sabalenka, and I guess you have to. Res- well, no, I really. I asked to pay. Just- I don't know. No, I don't think that's elite power because she's a little more fluid and she beats you to the spot again. That's like the best version of the Benchiches and the Garcias almost because of how flexible she is. But. I think you got to have Garcia in there. Yeah, maybe, but the but the point is fine. So Garcia as well. There's three people capable of playing at that elite level those- right now consistently. Like I think Jen J- Junction Wen is close. I think there are others who are close, but those three are the only ones who are capable of playing that consistent elite take the racket out of your hand power tennis. And it's like, and they also, by the way, have to be at their very best when they're playing Iga Sviantek because if they're not, Iga will yeah. beat them. As I'm it relates to golf, no, no, no. So as it relates to golf, to get full circle, I still think they need to be at ninety percent. Like Ostapenko played her best tennis last yeah. night against Coco Golf, and let's be clear, Ostapenko was three of three on break points. Golf was one of eight. Golf was the better player for the majority of set number one. She just wasn't able to get over the finish line. She also only made 50% of her serves last night, like her first serves. I, think, I don't think that was a great performance from uh, Coco. Wait, on the flip side, Alex, I'm pretty sure, because I'm pretty sure I came up with this stat when I was writing my article, Goff had saved maybe like 11 to 14 break points on her own serve sure. coming into the tournament. So that's... But I think she's that good of a server. Now. But I think she has become that much better attacking the first. I mean, again, the clutchness. Yo, no, but I think she played Ostapenko pretty evenly last night. Like, again, plus one execution. You look at the stats. 
Goff won 41 points, I think, to Ostapenko's 39. It was the extended rallies when Ostapenko was able to get a first strike deep into the backhand corner to open up the Goff forehand, which she, again, did with elite execution last night. I just think it takes elite power tennis to beat those yeah. sorts of players, and there's only really five players right now capable of playing that sort of level. Okay. Yeah. So, no, I'm but, not extraordinarily concerned. Okay. I'll say one more thing, then we can move Please. on to— Please, no. Um, you can say three more things. I, Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, so what I'm going to say is you talk about those three players. Um, and so it's uh, Sabalenka, you said, Rybakina, Ostapenko. Throwing Ostapenko out, out um, Rybakina won Wimbledon, you know, was at the end of Wimbledon. Garcia, who I'm including, won the WTA finals. Uh, Sviatek, who isn't in that club, but clearly is on that level of level play won the US Open and the French Open. Sabalenka has been going deep and has been the best player this season. She's what I'm trying to say is she is going to have to face those type of players in every slam. Yeah, so but but the here's hump, the thing. They also had to play their best. Like Ostapenko played her best last night. And I do think Coco has more of a margin where it's like, well, if they're spraying it all with how well Coco is executing on serve, like again, if that number is 60% and not 50% on first serves last night, she might win that match. Like she, I thought, play again, the numbers say in the plus one tennis, Goff played Ostapenko even. It's that, it's that, again, Ostapenko was so proficient in even the extended rallies with her power tennis that that's what allowed her to win. I like th- I just think the you still have to execute at such a high level because if you don't, Goff's going to beat you. And, like, I would bet on that winning out more frequently than not because those power tennis players we've talked to, they haven't been that consistent. I would also add that Goff is 18. And, like, what happens four years from now? Uh, what's the four years four years from now version of her look like? Could be like, uh, yeah, could she could go up, she could go down. It yeah, could be like a for Capriati, it could be, you know, the opposite. Yeah, no, it's it's again, I'm I'm fast. It's 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 a good thought. It's a, again, it's a great question to ask because this power yeah. tennis that we see returning, it is. It's the elite brand. It's, again, it's Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. It's just take the racket out of your hand stuff. So I think it's a fair question. Yeah, even uh, – yeah, no. No, yeah, so let's end here then. Who's your pick on the women's side? So it's been Sabalenka the entire time, yeah. and there has been nothing that she has shown me that has made me change my mind. She... Especially given that I don't think Garcia has looked that good. And Sviatek's out. Um, Coco – who is out not that she would have beat her but you know another top player it's really going to come down it could potentially be a re- oh i whether it's well here's I, the thing you haven't said the name jessica pagula who's playing on I don't, a mission right now i don't think she has the game to beat sabalink in this form well this is again it's can sabalink sustain i agree i test wise she's been the best player the first month but you know who's been the second best player Benchich, who she plays tonight. No, I think Benchich has been just as good. I think Belinda's been so, – she was so good in Adelaide. She was solid in the United I, Cup. She's been – I didn't think she looked corner. that great against Georgie, to be honest. Did you watch the first set? I watched it. Well, I watched more of the second set. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, fair. Um, look, straight set victory. Anyways, point is it's going to be a fun second week. There's a lot of good na- – like I, I, like I said, saying? top half – well, you, let me just say this. Spiatek, right? Well, top half of the draw, Rabakina. Pagula, Azarenka, Ostapenko, 
it's a good story no matter who the finalist there uh, is yeah. uh, of that group. And I think it's pretty similar on the women's side, all due respect to Lynette, uh, who might be a little bit of a slower story. But even then, you'd be like, wait, what? Magda Lynette is in a final? How are we not talking about this more? So I think no matter what, it's pretty interesting. I agree with you. I'm taking Sabalenka just because I have eyes and they say she's been the best. But you always feel dangerous when you actually say that out loud. With that said, yes let's... <laughs> yes, let's transition to the men's side of things. And again, it's the first Australian Open since I forget what the year was where the t- I think 1994 or 1996 where the top two seeds are out. And, you know, I know I was reading it's the first time or just the second time in the open era that the top seeds in both the men's and women's draws have been eliminated before the quarterfinals. But Rafael Nadal out of the event. Casper Ruud, out of the event. Casper Ruud, come on, on a hardcore. Still, but U.S. Open finalist, two seed, out of the event. And but and then also Nadal was out with an injury, and Djokovic Shh. is so far ahead of everyone else. You know, hamstring. Well, you know, so you know. let's get to that, because honestly, that should be the first story. I was going to start with a glass half full thing, but we'll save oh, that sorry, for number no, two. No, 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 because your inclination there reinforces what was my instinct as well, which is that's the story. So, OK, Nadal's out. Medvedev's out, who at least we've seen win a hard court major before. Dominic Team, I suppose, if you want to throw him on that list, How fine. He's Cora? out. Well, we'll, Medvedev. we'll get there. I yeah, promise sorry. we will get there. Um, <laughs> but look. Djokovic right now, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, is a 41.1% favorite to win the event. You're looking according to our friends at DraftKings, the odds for the Australian Open right now. Novak Djokovic, as he has been from the start, is the favorite to win the title. But it is worth noting, Djokovic started the event minus 115. He was the favorite to win. As of right now, entering the fourth round for the top, uh, the number four seed, he's plus 110. His odds have gone down, David, and part of that is a byproduct certainly of how some of the other guys have played. But the reason for that fact is that Novak Djokovic has had a severely wrapped hamstring in each and every match that he's played. And you looked in the match against Grigor. He wins it in straight sets. He was clearly the better player. He was able to dig himself out of corners when he needed to, but you could tell some of the reckless sliding when Djokovic is at his best and his most entertaining. He cut that out. Like he wasn't messing around. There was no, you know, if I did not, if I, I taking the mindset of Novak Djokovic, he saw it as if I have an opportunity to attack, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to come to the net. I'm going to hit my corners with such precision. And sometimes I like to play around with a 40-15 lead. Not this time. I'm going big first serve, big first forehand to the open court against Dimitrov. It was a locked in game plan from Djokovic. There was a little hiccup there at the start of the first set, but even when, you know, Round number two, he loses that set 7-6. What's he win the next two? 0-1 after that. Like, Djokovic has tried clearly with a purpose to get on and off the court as quickly as possible. He's dropped a couple of sets, or maybe just the one set, excuse me, on his way to this uh, fourth-round matchup against Alex Diemenauer. Yes, just the one set against Kakao, win over Carbeas Baena, uh, Enzo, and Dimitrov to get to this Diemenauer matchup. And look, Demon's going to make him work. Talk about the first significant physical challenge he will have. And so my question to you, David, though, is with that injury in mind, you do look at the rest of the draw. Nadal's not walking on to the other side of the court. 
Medvedev's not walking onto the other side of the court. Carlos Alcaraz isn't walking onto the other side of the court. Now, we'll get to the other guys in a second. But on paper, Novak Djokovic, much like at the start, is still the prohibitive favorite. So I ask you, how confident are you in him entering week number two? So here's the deal, and this might piss some people off, but you know I don't <laughs> care. Um, I don't, you know, when, with the injury concerns with Djokovic and Nadal, but we're talking about Novak now. I usually roll my eyes because we saw what happened a couple of years ago with Taylor Fritz where he was, you know, in that match where he looked like he was about to, you know, where they were about to roll a coffin on the court. And then all of a sudden he's winning the, the title. So until he pulls out, I'm going to assume he's healthy enough. Um, you know, Dimitrov is not an easy third round opponent, especially given how the draw in other sections has opened up. And, and how well Dimitrov was playing. He hadn't dropped a set going into the match. Yeah. Now the Jerry match, Jerry has, I think his grandmother died. Um, and that was a little easier for him in that sense. Um, in the sense that Jerry, uh, wasn't focused. Um, he said after the match, um, in the, I think he said at some point he like stopped focusing, which is understandable, but yes, uh, Dimitrov was in good form for sure. Um, and there's a tricky player to play. He's made, he was, what, a couple points away from making the Australian Open final in 2017 before the, you know, almost ruining the Nadal Federer uh, final that year. Um, I want to say, though, part of the reason why the odds have gone up a little bit, if I had to guess, is also because of the draw, specifically the quarterfinal opponent. Uh, Andre Rublev is playing spectacular. He has not dropped a set yet. Beat team uh, Rusevori. No, Van he Ep- dropped a set to Rusevori. Oh, he dropped, yeah. But just one set, but carry on. Your point stands. Yeah. I agree. He's played very, very well. That Dan Evans match was some of his best. I don't even think, and I don't think he even went, makes it to the quarterfinals because his opponent is going to be, is probably one of the least talked about players, top players in the draw right now, but who is coming on like a freight train, Holger Rune. He hasn't dropped a set. He had to play Cressy in the second round, who is a net rusher, really tough opponent. Ugo Umber in the uh, in the third round, who I, I watched a good bit of that match. Rune's ball striking and his ability to just crush short balls, fantastic. He looked like he might have picked up an injury in the second set, but everything was fine, um, at least based on what I saw. Uh, and if he's healthy, I think he beats uh, Rublev tonight, uh, and I'm very excited for that match. That's a tough draw, though, in the quarterfinals, especially, no offense, if, like, another option for a quarterfinal opponent is Shelton or Wolf, you probably rather one of them than Rune or Rublev in this form. What do you, do you think that's contributed to the odds also going up for him a little bit, just seeing how well they're playing? Well, it's funny. No, I, I would say no. I, I, I would imagine, yes, probably some late money has moved in on other names. And it is interesting you bring up Runa, who at plus 900 has the fourth best odds to win this event. And it's better than Rublev, who's at 22 to but one no odds. no one's talking about him. Well, and I wanted to talk about him today because he has very quietly had a very good first week of this event. But, you know, again, when I look at the Novak performance against Dimitrov, he made 72% of his first serves, 11 aces, 28 winners against 22 unforced errors, 15 of 20 at the net. It was pretty sound form. And watching Novak play, again, 
I think this is the Novak we've seen over the course of the past year. I think he's been extraordinarily efficient in everything that he's done. And certainly you look for him last year, he held 87.9% of the time. That was the third best number of his career. He was a top 10 server, top 10 returner. Now the break percentage dipped 28.5%, which was still third on the ATP tour, but is three and a half percent below his career average. Like again, he's made up for the ever so slight dip in the break percentage by being that much better with his first serve. Last year, he won 77.2% of his first serve points. That was the highest number of his career. This year, albeit through a limited sample size, he's won 83% of his first serve points. And he just has a willingness and a clarity in going after that first forehand now to the open quarter with whatever target he wants to pick, he just hits it so consistently now. And he's done that through his first three matches, even in the blip in that set against Enzo Kakad. Um Here's the thing, though. Demon's been I locked in. Yeah, but, but here's the thing. Demon Hour's been locked in. Runa has looked physically a step faster, and he looks a little stronger. Yeah. He's a little more confident, putting more pressure cramping. on opponents. Exactly. I just like again, whether it's him or the relentlessness of Rublev. These are two really tough matches coming up for I, Djokovic. Do I think the hamstring holds up? I think still yes. Like again, with how well he's serving, with how well he's moving when he needs to. The question is like, here's the thing: what I don't think he can afford is to have two consecutive five-set matches. I think he really needs to get up on two early leads. I think first sets are going to be so critical for Novak Djokovic here in this Australian Open, given his health. But So with how well you're saying all these different guys have played, David, I still ask you, is Djokovic's best better what you've seen than the rest of the field? So let me let me first start off by saying this. Um, I think you're overstating Deminar a little bit. He has no weapons to compete with Novak from the baseline. Except for the physicality. He's going to make Novak earn everything. He will extend that. Like, here's what he has. That match is at least two and a half hours. And does Novak want to be doing that? Like, Novak is trying to get off court quickly. If he gets a little lackadaisical, a little lazy in his approach shots, Demon Hour will make him pay every time. Hmm. I guess, but I've I've never seen Deminar put it together in a major, and I don't think it's he's and I don't think he will in this one. Um, I don't think that's fair. He's made multiple second weeks at slams, particularly hardcore slams. Well, is it when you say second week? Was has he made maybe one quarterfinal? Now, sure, but okay, let's look fourth rounds in his career at the majors. Alex Demonauer overall he, again. Until he comes up against a player like Nadal or Djokovic. Or- well, here we go. He's made the round of 16. He's only advanced past it once, but he's made round of 16 at the U.S. Open twice, Australian Open twice, and Wimbledon once. Last year, he made round of 16 in Australia and Wimbledon. And that's, that's what I'm kind of saying is he's able to grind past a lot of these lower-ranked players in the early rounds before he gets up against the player like Djokovic, is, who sure. is better in every aspect of the game, or Nadal. I remember, I think they played at the Australian Open before. And I just don't think he has the game to beat the top guys in best of five. Um, That's just, but, and that's why I think that Rune with the, with the, uh, and I know I'm talking about him a lot, but I just am so impressed dating back to Paris last year, dating back to before Paris last year, where even in the clay season, he is the next, he is going to be the guy right next to Alcaraz in two or three years. I promise you that. I'm calling it now. I've seen it on Twitter, and I agree. 
that's what I'm manifesting that because I really think it's going to, that's what's going to happen. Um, but what was your original question? Cause I totally, well, yeah, no, you still have yet to answer. How confident are you in Djokovic? I am given what I said before about how, unless he pulls out, I'm going to assume he's fine. Okay. I'm, I'm very confident. He's so much better than the rest of the field. So uh, all of that Rune of fluff was for nothing. You still think Djokovic cruises through all of them? No, I don't think he cruises past Rune. I think he cruises cruises past anyone else. I think, but remember, Rune has already taken a set off Djokovic on a hardcore slam before. He's going to come in there. I think that will be his toughest test. And if he makes it past Rune, I think he's going to maybe lose one set tops to Deminar. And then if he makes it past Rune, he sails to the title. Interesting. So you're not threatened by any of the guys in the top half of the draw who I want to get to in a second. But I think now unequivocally we have to move next to Holger Runa. And look, obviously Holger won the 2022 Paris Masters title. He beat four top 10 players on his way to doing that. He's a top 10 guy in the ATP rankings. He's a top 10 guy, according to Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings. You know, the number nine seed, to your point, has yet to drop a set. Wins over Krajinovich, Cressy, and Umber. Yet to play a seed. Obviously, this Rublev match will be his first significant test. Now, he lost a first-round match to Yoshihito Nishioka in Adelaide. Obviously, that turns out to mean very little. You look for Runa. He's been broken four times through nine sets played so far in this event. Has spent a grand total of six hours and 19 minutes on court, which is about as much as you could ask for from the 19-year-old, who, by the way, is playing his last slam as a teenager of his career. Here's the thing. I said the names right there. Krajinovic, Cressy, Umber. He's yet to play a tier one guy. And if you're telling me like, yes, Holger Runa has looked good beating up on players who are worse than him. I agree with you. I'll also say this. I don't undervalue that because the hardest thing in tennis is to beat, yeah. quote, who you're supposed to beat. And Krajinovic Runa, on court, that's not easy. Cressy net rushing, that's not easy. I, I just think, but they're simple game plans. Like, again, Holger clearly has the more diverse skill set. He's a better athlete. He's had better results, more confident than every player that he's played thus far. And my thing, he hasn't had, a, you know, yes, Cressy has some weapons. Umber has some weapons. Krajinovic has some weapons. But the totality of things they do do not come close so, to the totality of things that Holger can do. Here's the okay. thing, though. Again, over the course of the past three months, Holger Runa has been exceptional. You look at just since, again, post-U.S. Open. Sophia final, Stockholm title, Basel final, Paris title, loses first round Adelaide, but now round of 16 here at the U.S. Open. That is a hell of a two-month run and a six-event stretch for Holger Runa. He has been this guy now for three months consecutively. What is it that has you so, like, what is it that's taken it to the next level even here? So first off, I've been watching Rune since he's been in yeah, the Yeah, he's, he's played and like so, uh, he's played like 200 matches since to, August 2020, which is nuts. To, to watch Rune go from this kid who was cramping up in every match, um and I think he's matured as a person too. That's a whole nother um conversation. Um to who didn't have who 
was grinding it out more, didn't have the power that he has nowadays. And I think that's the difference is his ability to put away short balls and to finish the point with, I've always thought that his back, uh, when he was coming up, that his backhand was better than his forehand. His forehand is phenomenal now. And he is able to just absolutely crush the ball, easy power, ball explodes off his racket. You mentioned that he didn't beat anyone, you know, any big names at the Australian Open. Let's talk about starting in Sofia, who he beat who he's beaten then, you know, since then, on all on hard courts. Yannick Sinner, Cam Norrie, Deminar twice, uh, Tsitsipas, Batista Agut, who is being pretty disrespected himself this tournament, but we, well, I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, Wawrinka, Hercats, Rublev, who will play tonight, Alcaraz, Agur Elisame, I just butchered that, I apologize, um, and Djokovic. All though that is like an all-star lineup. He's beat them all on hard courts. It's not best of five, but he did it on a big stage at the Paris Masters um, against his idol, I think, or one of his idols in Djokovic. Not, no fear. This guy is not scared of the big moment. And that's what I love. Even dating back to the 2021 U.S. Open when he took that set off Djokovic, he was not scared of the moment. His body let him down, not his mind. And that's why I'm so excited about him. I also just think, to your point, you said this a little earlier, his ability to take the ball early on the rise has gotten so much better. Like, his forehand is just so much more... He's so much more successful with it, attacking and moving forward, taking that ball early, and yet the backhand will always remain elite, just the fluidity on that wing for him. Now, look, again, Rublev's played really well, and this is the first significant test for Holger Runa. That is a fascinating matchup here on day number eight of this event to enjoy. Probably the matchup of the day, huh? Yeah, look, I moved Holger to Tier 1 this offseason. I said he is a guy I now have as a lock to win a slam over the course of the next decade. You just don't have this sort of success. And since August 2020, so it's been, what, two and a half years? Runa, 147-66. and 66. He's played 213 matches. He's won two-thirds of them. You look for him at the tour level. Again, he is still a teenager, yet 83-47 and 47 overall in his career. That's not true. There's a bunch of ITF matches mixed in there, so that's a little bit off according to Tennis Abstract. But this is a guy who's, as a teenager, now made multiple second weeks at slams and, you know, again, has won a Masters title in his career and looks a little stronger is moving a little better, just a rock-solid frame, so flexible, so fluid, continues to become more comfortable as a volleyer as well. And again, you look in his straight set win over Ugo Umber at the stats in this match for uh, Runa to win 82% of his first serve points to go 13 of 15 at the net face, only three break points throughout the course of the match. And I, he was just clear. He's clearly been the. He has dominated his competition through week number one, and that's what we always ask the best players to do. And Runa has done that here this week. I don't know if I'm picking him over Rublev though. Like the heaviness of that Rublev. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating matchup because Runa does sort of. He does sort of have the backhand to to absorb that inside-out forehand that Rublev likes to hit. And then, you know, with that first step, the on-the-sprint, on-the-run forehand, Runa has the athleticism to pull that ball off when Rublev tries to pull inside-in trigger. He was in. He was fine against Rublev in Paris. Again, yeah. best three indoors. Yeah. But in, he's he's able to hang with him from the baseline, and I think I like his backhand more than Rublev's backhand. Yeah. Um, uh, no, like I said, I think that his backhand used to be better than his forehand. Yeah, and 
So that said, just, you know, again, yeah. I do think physically, see, this is where I get worried for Djokovic because Demon Hour, I do think with a home crowd in front of him, he's just going to make that match physically taxing for Djokovic. And then if you face a Runa or a Rublev, two guys who are also going to, you know, for Rublev, it's the heaviness of his ball that wears on your legs. For Runa, a guy who's not afraid to play 20, 25 shot rallies and will also put some pressure on you moving forward. Like Djokovic can't afford to spend eight hours on court these next two matches. He just can't physically with the state of his hamstring. I think he's around 90%. You're buying into his hamstring maybe more than I am. Well, I just watching him play. It's an eye test thing. He looks like he's pulling up on balls that typically he never would. And I think eventually that adds up. Did he, did did you feel that way when watching him against Fritz a couple of years ago? Yes, I was concerned now, but here's the difference. He's not 30 anymore, David. Like, he's, what, 35? And, like, I'm just saying we've seen it with Nadal. It's harder to recover at 35 than it is even at 31 or 32. And it's just, again, where did this injury come from, from for Djokovic? Like, the, the first week warm-up in Adelaide, like, and he had a week to recover, and yet it's still nagging him? That proves the severity of this. You're not wearing the tape that heavily if you don't have to. Now, again, I still think Djokovic is winning this event. I still think his best is better. But I am a little concerned by these next two rounds. That's fair. No, I agree. I yeah, I agree. I, All right. I'll take it. All right, no, I, I, can, I can see where you're coming from, and I can't argue it. Yeah. All right. Well, then, with that in mind, and that's good because I hadn't done a lot of Ruga, Runa talk because, again, Kranovich, uh, Cressy, uh, in a quick court is yeah, tough. but three unseated players. And the the thing about the Cressy match that was so impressive that he broke his serve in every set. Like that's the impressive thing that Runa did in that match. It's not that he beat Cressy in straights; it's that he didn't have now, to play a single tiebreak. Now let me ask you this: Then, um, are you then more? Are you then you bet? This is what I'll say then. Then I hope you're keeping this energy when we talk about Ben Sheldon's draw. Yeah, of course. I mean. It's a not draw is a, that's been weaker, I think. Than a draw, even, a you know. draw's a draw. Like yeah. again, yeah. yeah, Look, yeah. You, you can, and by the way, like, you can only play the players that are across the Jade, net from you. Like I don't hold that against Ruda. Here's the difference. Weak. Now we're in the second week of the Slam, and Shelton and Wolf. You know, Runa's not playing Shelton. Runa's not playing Wolf. Now he's playing Andre yeah. freaking Rublev. And all I'm yeah. saying is that is a different sort of test than Krajinovic, Cressy, or Umber. And so that's okay. what I'm fascinated to see. And it's the same deal with Djokovic now. It's like, look, Carbeas Baena ain't walking through that door. Like now, do you know it's a much better version of Carbeas Baena? Alex freaking Demonauer in front of a home crowd. And so it's like... And it's Djokovic cr- lost three points in the third set against, right? Which was, points. yeah, it's something crazy, which is like, which is why you back him. But I'm I'm excited to see it get rock and rolling because now I think the real tests start, to your point. And so, you know, with that said. On the bottom half, at least. On the top yeah. half, it feels like a 250 right now. Well, the top, oh, I disagree. I really like where the top half is and we'll get there in a second. But the big thing to me, DK, uh, DK, excuse me, DG, uh, that. I think is probably the biggest story, certainly for me, and it's almost felt like heaven because the very first series we did here at Crack Rackets back in 2017 I was, was something thinking called about that. <laughs> the Next Gen American Series, where we broke down the 96s, 97s, 98s, this class that, as I like to say, Colette Lewis promised us, this group of Mo, Paul, Kozlov, Tiafo, Fritz, Opelka, Donaldson, Altamirano, Noah Rubin, etc., all of these guys 
competed for or won Junior Slam titles. They were all having ITF Pro success, ITF Junior success, challenger level success, having some success at the 250 levels when they were teenagers. And you just felt like with enough bites at the apple, maybe, just maybe, one God willing, two of these guys might actually find themselves as top 15, top 20 players. Now, even beyond that, of course, you have the supplemental group, the Brooksby, the Nakashima, the Korda, the Sheltons, the Wolfs, who takes a little bit longer going the college path. Remember, we did a podcast on JJ. Of course. Of course. Next Gen 2.0, baby. We were there. We were on this train from the beginning, yeah. uh, David Gertler. It's, good to, it's amazing how you know, well, they grow up. You get the I know. It's, I mean, RIP to Yuri Rodionov, who, like, we were wrong. I, I don't think that one's coming back for us, David. Well, uh, let's get, still time, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's still pretty young. Um, but, again, here's the thing. Eight Americans into the round of 32. It's the most mm-hmm. since, what was it, 96? I believe that's 25% of the round of 32. Four Americans into the round of 16. Again, 25%. That's the most since 2004. We now are guaranteed to have two Americans in the quarterfinals. Again, 25%. That's the most since 2004, when I believe it was, or 2007, when it was Roddick and Fish. Whenever you're compared to Roddick and Fish, Whenever you're compared to American men's tennis in the 1990s, which is considered by and large to be the golden era for the American men, Sampras, Agassi, Courier, Chang, and down the loose. Yeah, exactly. For now, that's a good thing. Here's what I want to ask because, again, Sebi Korda, whether it was in Adelaide week number one, whether it was making two of three finals to end last year, whether it was obviously beating Medvedev, finding a way through in five sets over her cuts last night. He has looked like a top 10 player, not a top three, you know, not a top 30 player, not a top 20 guy, a top 10 player, maybe even a top five guy. I might even be ready to elevate him into that tier one conversation of guaranteed to win a slam by January 1st, 2030, because the size, the speed, the strength, the mental stamina. Heavy um, quarter, like, Yeah, it feels like Cord has got it all. Of course, you've also got Fritz, who's an Indian Wells champion, Tiafo, a U.S. Open semifinalist, Fritz Tommy was Paul. Dis- well, but he was great during the United Cup. He was. he was great during the ATP Finals. He's earned the benefit of the doubt, certainly, in what was, again, Popperin played unreal in that match. Here's the point. You're still encouraged about Taylor Fritz if you're an American men's tennis fan moving forward. Tommy dominates Brooksby, has a very, very winnable match. And if he gets through this match with Roberto Bautista Goo, he should make the semifinals of this Australian Open. Um Again, he's looked excellent over the course of the past six months. And then again, Ben Shelton now, who I we created the Ben Shelton bandwagon here at <laughs> Cracked Rackets. And obviously, to see the lefty, who has, of course, had the ideal draw. But guess what? You get the ideal draw, you got to capitalize on it. He has done exactly that. Five sets in his first round match. And then, you know, again, plays essentially the same player back-to-back. Nicolas Jari and Alexi Popperin. Big serves. Big forehands, quick points. He gets through both in straight sets. You know, ultimately, Shelton into the fourth round for the first time at a slam in just his second major main draw of his career. He has no points to defend until June 1st, and yet Ben Shelton already sitting all the way up uh, at number 76 in the live rankings. Here's what I ask you. It's been a hell of a first month, David, for the American Mm -hmm. men. 
how real is this? Because we hyped it up all off season. We talked about what was possible. Certainly, this feels like the best possible manifestation of the version of the things we discussed. How sustainable is this? Like, does it feel real? Because so, it kind of does to me. Uh, well, here's the first thing I want to say is I want to correct myself. I said earlier the top half looked like a 250. I meant the bottom quarter. Okay. I was thinking of the uh, Sheldon RBA, Wolf, yeah, 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 yeah. dude, Paul. That looked anyway. So I just wanted. I was wrong there. I want to just put okay. that out there. Okay. To answer your question, how real is it? It goes back. I think it depends on the uh, on the opponent. I mean, on the specific American. So Tommy Paul, I think, is very real. He's been doing it. He did it last season. He has not been. He's been a little, you know, inconsistent. Where sometimes when you know this, I think I saw this on Twitter too. Where when he's an underdog, a lot of times he's do he does better than when he's a favorite. But not anymore. I, not over the past six months. Not since he's like since the start of Queens Club. I did this yesterday. I think he's like twenty five and thirteen overall. Like. And he's made a second week at Wimbledon. He's now made a second yeah. week in Australia. Like he has been his forehand. He turns into it consistently now, much less massaging of that shot than he used to be. I agree with you. I know you were getting there, but it's like that inconsistent rep he used to have, which I agree with. He has dispelled it over the course of the past six months. To an extent. Sure. Um, yeah. But um He's had the toughest road, I would say, with Brooksby, Davidovich, Fokina, Mm -hmm. who I guess got injured in that one. I saw it. And then, of course, he's running around again afterwards. So who knows if he was actually injured? It was a good win, regardless. I think it was a very good win. How real – you said winnable – if I were Tommy Paul, I'd much rather play J.J. Wolf or Ben Sheldon than Roberto Batista. I don't – I am – that big, but that doesn't mean it's not winnable. Keep talking about how weak that bottom quarter is, not including me. But the bottom, at the bottom line, Roberto Batista Agut was two sets away from Wimbledon final in 2019, and he is someone the ultimate competitor. Who do I think makes it out of that bottom section? I think it's Roberto Batista Agut, and it's just going to be, you know, by the time we get to the semis, a normal looking semifinal as opposed to like having JJ Wolf in there. How big, how much do stock do I put into J.J. Wolf and Ben Sheldon's run? Not as much because like I was saying or alluded to earlier, they're, it looks like a 250 draw. Uh, you have J.J. beat Jordan Thompson, who is top in Australia and can be good on quick courts. So, But at the end of the day, J.J. just had so much more power. Diego Schwartzman. Total disaster. And I say that as a big Diego fan. His game is a mess. Well, he was really injured in that match. Uh, he wasn't He wasn't good even last No, uh, he's been banged. He's lost like eight of his last nine. I agree. But here's the thing, David. Again, J.J. Wolf. He's played three slam main draws. He's made the third round at least in all three of those slam hardcore events. U.S. Open, U.S. Open, Australia. He's also to your – he makes the final at the end of last season in Florence before getting knocked out by Felix. Here's the thing. You say, okay, the draw's been easy, fine. But you're sp- to be the best players in the world, you have to beat who you're supposed to beat. And I think, yeah. again, by virtue of who he's beaten, Schwartzman, who's probably a fringe top 50 hardcore player. Uh, not point. anymore. No, but again, that, Michael Moe, who's worked his way inside the top Mike, 100. Again, Mike, the, the, but let's not forget J.J. Wolf beat your, your beloved Roberto Bautista Agu in straight sets at the U.S. Open 
four months ago, and he follows yeah. it up by, again, making another fourth-round tier. Now, I agree with you. The draw is what it is, but you have to beat who you're supposed to beat, and yeah. I think this, again, proves – and I think right now there are 13 or 14 Americans in the top 100. I think it's 13 of the live rankings. I think J.J. Wolf's unequivocally proven he is a top 50 hardcourt player, which just gives you another and bite I, of the apple. At and I think two Shelton is too. Exactly, which is where I was going to get to next. You beat Jari. You beat Popperin. You beat uh, Jong. You're just in position. You're beating who you're supposed to beat. You're yeah. putting yourself in a position to get a swing at a big guy. And again, we need to see both JJ and Ben Sheldon, how they would compete against an Andre Rupert. I have no doubt Ben Sheldon would compete well. When he oh, wins. they both would. They both compete very well. That, like, that's not the issue. I need to see how their games hold up, I should say. Okay. Um, but – you know, so again, let me ask you this. It's the bites at the apple. We, look, how many bites at the apple do we have in American men's tennis? Now, I need to see it on clay, sure, certainly, and Ben Sheldon has never played a clay court match in his professional career. I don't think career. Sheldon's game works on grass. I think it, work, it will work better. Oh, uh, I could not disagree with you more. His serving and volleying, his his serve on a grass court, are uh, you you're, kidding you know, me? I, I take that back. Actually. Yeah, come on. I'm thinking about his variety, too. No, so here's a Sheldon thing, well. I, and then I'm going to hand it over to you because I know you wanted to ask me something, but here's a Shelton take I would throw at you. I think the way to beat Ben right now, and it's very hard to do, I think Popperin did this. I think Jari did this mistakenly. They tried to serve through his backhand. And if I'm a player, I'm playing with pace through his forehand. Because, yeah, if he has time on that forehand wing, it's his most explosive shot. But that backswing is big. The grip's yeah. a little funky. I feel like that forehand's more susceptible to breaking down than the backhand, which is just so smooth. And, like, he's so strong through that backhand swing. I don't know why Popperin – Popperin did the exact – it's like no one in Popperin's camp – popped in the Shelton Jari tape and said, wait, Ben just saw this. Like, let's try something a little different. Yeah, I, it's almost like Coco Goff in that way, where the long, you know, back swing and then, yeah, I, and you can rush him from that wing um, a little bit. Um, what was your question? Well, it's <laughs> did, more just again. Did you ask anything? No, it's, it's big picture on yeah. – this American oh, men's Sheldon. group. Well, and this American men's group. How real is this week? Because Seppi Corda, yes. I think, again, looks like a top 10 guy. Fritz was an ATP Finals semifinalist last year. Tommy's coming up. Francis was amazing at the U.S. Open. And Hatchinoff had to play really well to beat him in what was, I don't think, a disappointing third-round loss. I thought that was just good tennis. Mm. Brooksby beats Kasparud. Michael Moe yeah. has solidified himself in the top 100. Mackie beats Rafa, albeit via injury. Right. But still, it's a good win for Mackie. Michael Moe lost in qualifying, too. When he okay, got very but he lucky. made the most of the lucky loser opportunity. Giron then, has been a top 70 guy pretty yeah. consistently. Like, it's a really good group yeah. of Americans. It's a it's a very—that's a great way to put it. It's a very good group of Americans. It's a deep, good group. Is there any greatness in that group? I don't know. I don't know about that. I think Ben so you're not there. So you're, you're not there with Sebi Corda yet? I want to I want to see Corda and I think Sheldon do it go deep in a you know deep deep. I don't trust Corda mentally yet. Um, How can you say more. that after he almost flopped away the first set against Medvedev, but didn't? And then last night against Hercots comes back. You know Hercots had captured all of the momentum in that third set tiebreak, taking a three-one mini break lead, and then all of the sudden Corda starts approaching the net more consistently. The backhand pass he hits on match point, like the forehand on the run pass he hits to get the mini break back. Sebastian Corda. 
uh, is your I I say it's Alex Virev with a better brain. Like it's like if you were to make oh, a, a player in a lab six four six five. Bias there with no Vera. he no I've I've this is it's just again no I mean again Corda is so fluid he's so strong his ground strokes are so clean from a technical standpoint and he's also a good volleyer like. Who yeah. in that fifth set no, just I became so him, much yeah. more willing. And he had match point on Djokovic week one in Adelaide. Like he was right there. Now, if you want to say you want to see more until you put him in tier one, I won't knock you for that. I might be jumping the gun a bit, but I see it. Like I'm all in. That's our I tier. I think we have no, two. I th- I'm still. So I had this debate because. So let me ask you Quarter or Shelton, right now, you're buying stock in one. Who are you buying? I was going to ask you earlier. My question was was uh, Sheldon or Wolf, but, uh, but uh, I'm going to uh, say— My answer would be Shelton because he's just bigger. I, I, I like Sheldon's variety more, too. Um, yeah, he can just do more things. I agree. But um, Sheldon or Corda, I Because like I think that's Korda the more. question we should be having. Like, I think Corda, Fritz, and I'd say the group of—in terms of ceilings, who has the highest yeah. ceiling? I think the group of Corda— Sheldon and Fritz have the highest ceiling out of all the Americans. And would you rank them in that order specifically? I would rank Fritz first. I would rank Corda second. I'd rank Sheldon third. I would go Corda one, Shelton two. No. uh, Fritz's backhand is spectacular. Fritz might be the best hitter of a tennis ball on the ATP tour. Like, again, physically, he's gotten better. He will never be the best mover. The volleys are still the volleys. Um, but God, his ability to hit a forehand, hit a backhand, hit a server, just pristine. Like if he gets his hands on the ball, they're exceptional. But I just feel like Ben, and I've said this to him on the pod, he responded to it. Go check out the Cracked Interviews podcast. My constant thing is like, you're asking him to slow down. Like you're never saying, Ben, you're not fast enough. Ben, you got to get up to speed. Ben, you need more weapons. No, for him, it's like, hey, you don't need to pull the trigger that soon. You don't need to take that big of a backswing on that forehand. You can just like learn to moderate yourself, and that's what happens to every tennis player through the course of their career. They learn how to do exactly that. I have no question about Ben's gifts. It's just about him learning to apply them at the right moments, and yeah. that's where it's like I think because of the sort of athlete he is, because of how explosive he can be, he has a degree of explosion that Taylor will never have. Now, Seppi's the best of both worlds. Seppi has Ben's size and explosiveness, maybe not explosiveness, but size and strength, as well as plenty good enough speed, and Fritz's technique and ability to actually strike a tennis ball. I think Corda's the best of both worlds. I think, do you think, though, that Fritz is more, I, I like Fritz's rally tolerance a Fritz, little better. Fritz is really good at tennis. Like, I, he, they're all in the, you're right, that's the tier. That's tier like, one. Corda, I think, Sometimes goes through too many spells of you know hit or miss. I didn't. I don't think he's done that for a couple of months. And again, this is a guy we've seen make a second week at the French Open too. He's won a title on clay. He moves well on that surface. He beat Alcaraz there last year. Like, I I think he can do it on all surfaces in a way. I'm still not sure Fritz's movement can consistently on clay. We've never seen Ben play a clay court match. You know what? I'm going like quarter ben. one. I'll go quarter one. No, I'm going Shelton 2, Fritz 3, just because i got to be me, right? I've planted my flag in the Shelton corner. But I do think that's the argument American men's tennis fan, fans should be having. Because I, So let me ask you this. Do you consider any of those three Tier 1 slam-winning capable talents? Right now or in the future? No, moving forward. Like, do any of them have the potential in your mind to reach Tier number 1? They don't have to be right now, but in the future. 
see, I picked Fritz in the semis and to go to the semis this thing disappointed. And so like, I, I would say, I, that's a tough question. That's I, I, why really, I, asked. I don't, if I'm, if you have a gun to my head, do any of them win a major? I say there's one major between the three of them. I'll take it. Yeah. I don't know which one and I don't know where. And by the way, that major. puts us full circle. That's the extra bites at the apple. There are now multiple bites for the Americans because there are multiple guys. I forgot to say Nakashima, who's obviously looked exceptional. Brooksby just Well, not rude. recently. No. To end last year. Are you kidding me? Wimbledon on? French Open on. He made the third round of every slam from the French Open. I'm on. talking about recently, recently. Oh, like 2023. Yeah, fine. Yeah. He lost to Mackey first round, and it was a really fun five-set and, so. and he lost in the first round of Adelaide. No, so it's a slow start, but I'm not I'm not selling my stock. On oh, that I, that's what I meant. I didn't mean yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So to that extent, you're absolutely correct. But this is, gets back to full circle here on this American Men conversation is it's just like this group is real. It's not like, with all due respect to this name, like Robbie Ginepri, like – Robbie Ginepri was never going to sniff the top 10. You know, I guess Isner and Query did for, and Sock to some extent all did for a little bit because they had their individual moments, but those weren't guys who you felt like were going to be unequivocal top eight guys at every major they played, at every event they played for the course of multiple career, uh, years in their career. Like, in singles, uh, at least. Yeah. For time. And Kudlas and the Johnsons of the world. And, you know, obviously Tim Smichek popped in the top 100 for a little bit. All these guys. I miss him. No, who have had some success, but I, I just, used to like watching Tim in the challenge. Yeah, I just, I just think this group, there are a bunch of top twenty-five guys. Like it's like they're all just gonna yeah. be in the mix, and we should. I think we should now hold them to the standard of hey, at least one of them should be making round number four in every event. That, well, I think if we we're should gonna see them call, in second, if we're weeks. gonna say that they're all there, then we all then that should be the expect expectation for all of them individually, then as opposed. To if you're going to call them top 25 guys, then the expectation should be making each one of them should their expectation should be making the fourth round, right? We can't yeah. say oh, just one of the, you know that's kind of you see what I'm saying? No, yeah, that's what I'm saying is you're right. It should be the over under now should be it should always be over one and a half. We should get two of these guys in the round of 16 because we should find a world where one you know again where it's one of the original next geners, Fritz Opelka, Tiafo, Paul, and one of the new group, Brooksby. Korda, Nakashima, and then one of the extracurriculars, whether it be an Isner, a Mackey, a Giron, like whoever it is in the moment, between all those groups of American men out there right now, you feel like we sh- and Shelton, I didn't say his name, you feel like we should get two into the second week of every slam now, which is a huge step forward because for the past 10 years, we'd be lucky to get one. Yeah, it's just for me, when I just look at like, who do I, who's winning slams? I just, you know, like I maybe trust a guy, you're, you're a heck of more than any of the ones that we No, talked. then Corda, you bite No, your no, tongue. no, no, no. But like the, I maybe the miss, the like uh, miscellaneous or your Sheldons or Wolves Shh. of the world, not Corda, not the top three, not the three. Yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's the difference is we now have a top three. I guess there it is. It's, it's like well, one well, of Fritz, Sheldon. don't you think one of Fritz and Corda should always be in the quarterfinals now? Maybe it's a top two. Maybe because when I think about it, like in terms no, of— No, Sheldon, like, we're projecting. We're definitely doing some projection right? there. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, still— But Lehek has been really—talk about a tough draw who— Well, I, I want to get to him in a second because we've got two other categories I want to get to. And Yuri is one of them along with Karen Hatchinov. And again, I'm not going to keep you for too much longer here, and we're going to make some predictions before we end this show. But 
Let's move next to the guy who I think becomes the unequivocal top contender at the top of the draw, a guy who is now plus 300 to win this Wait, event, the second never, favorite. Hold on, Alex. We never even mentioned Brooksby beating – or we we never even talked at all about Brooksby beating Rude. What do you well, think about that? Well, <laughs> I talked about it, uh, certainly on the Mini Break podcast earlier this week. Uh it was a great like Casper said you could tell Casper wasn't playing well all like all throughout the course of the month and when you're not playing well the thing that's the maybe the biggest pain in the derriere would be to play someone like Brooksby who's I just going to put derriere. yeah a million balls in play who was so good at getting stretch, rude stretched on that backhand wing over and over again and then whenever he offered Casper a look at a forehand fine but you're going to be on the full sprint when you're hitting it Brooksby played a great match but then Tommy stepped up as I thought he would, as it was like a, oh, no, 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 like, if this is an American pecking order match, I'm going to be disciplined enough, and I'm going to beat you. And I thought that was a mental victory as much as it was a physical victory for Tommy, how locked in he was from the start. But I mentioned Brooksby in all the conversation. Again, Brooksby's an unequivocal top 50 hardcore player right now. Brooksby, despite going 12-11 and 11 in first matches last year at events, finished the year inside the top 50 which just was like a solidifying season after what was that miraculous 2021. So, yeah, I feel pretty good about Brooksby, too. What do you think about the match? I thought that, God, Rude just looked so frustrated, and he lost patience at times from the ground just because Brooksby was getting everything back. I think someone mentioned on Twitter the fact that Brooksby isn't the fastest guy, but if he gets his racket, who I can't remember who said this. It was a great point. I think it was but me. When, Oh, was it you? Yeah, when he gets his, putting his hands on the, ball. on the ball. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, I thought that was a great point, Alex. And Thank I also you. think that his anticipation, where he just kind of understands patterns and knows where the ball is going, I think that I think he's going to be a guy that's in the third round to quarterfinals in like multiple slams a year, but we'll never see him at the end, and we'll rarely see him lose like in the first round to mm-hmm. your. Uh, Jordan Thompson's of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a very good take. And again, it's another bite at the apple. It's just a guy you feel like, okay, he's into the second week. Cool. Like, again, it's just more uh, more reasons for Americans to get behind American talent. I'm sorry for derailing you, though. No. You were going somewhere else. Never, never apologize because I was going to get back to it here. I got two more stories I want to talk about with you. Top half of the draw. The match we have yet to talk about buried the lead here. But what was a thrilling, thrilling Really high-level five-set match between Stefano Tsitsipas and Yannick Sinner. Tsitsipas ultimately the five-set victory. You look for Stefanos now into another quarterfinal here in Australia. He's the only guy in the top half of the draw who has made a major final before. Of course, you look for Tsitsipas ultimately earns a 6-4-6-4-3-6-4-6-6-3 win over Sinner. I thought Sinner played great. Like, again, I, I yet... The thing for me is when I watch Tsitsipas play right now, first of all, his serve, his forehand combination, it's as good as anyone's out there on the ATP Tour. And he made 72% of his first serves, won 67% of his first serve points, 48 winners, 29 of 41 at the net. wasn't perfect against center. No, but the way the weight, his ability to transfer his weight behind a first forehand, it doesn't matter how deep you hit the return. If he gets a look at a first forehand, he is just going to get his momentum moving through the ball, moving forward, and he's going to find a way to be in an advantageous position on the court with that first forehand. The backhand has continued to improve at marginal rates, but it has continued to improve, and I thought it held up fairly well over uh, against the relentless onslaught 
that was Yannick Sinner. Now, I'll say this. The best adjustment maybe I've seen all tournament long from any individual players, Yannick Sinner saying, oh, you're going to sit 12 feet behind the baseline, Stefanos, to try and make sure you can get a look at a forehand or so you have more time to swing through your backhand? Fine. You know what I'm going to do a ton of in sets three and four? I'm just going to drop shot the hell out of you. And Sinner just kept drop shotting over and over again to start that third set. And it changed the tone of the match. And now Tsitsipas had to take a step forward. And now Sinner's ground strokes were that much more effective. Stefanos was forced to leave the ball short that much more frequently. It was a great adjustment from Yannick Sinner. But what ultimately won out in in the end, David, it was the serve, the forehand of Stefanos Tsitsipas. And again, this was a dead-even match. Tsitsipas won 154 points. Sinner won 151. Tsitsipas won 89 of the 0-4 to four shot rallies. Sinner won 88. Like, this match was even across the board. Sinner did a great job of extending things physically, moving the ball around the court, taking down the lines when the opportunities presented themselves. Tsitsipas, uh, I mentioned his stats at the net. Tsitsipas goes 29-41. Uh, of 41. Sinner, a pretty efficient 20-30 of, uh, 20 of 30 at the net as well. He actually hit 54 winners to Tsitsipas's 48. This was top 10 tennis. Like, again, and when I look at Yannick Sinner, I'm still all in. He's made five straight or six straight second weeks, and I think seven of the eight last eight slams he's made the second week of. I know he still hasn't had that quarterfinal victory, but he gets closer and closer with every passing match. And let's not forget, he had match point on Carlos Alcaraz at the U.S. Open. Stock is still very up with Yannick Sinner, but my take is I think we've got a new Stefano Tsitsipas on our hands. He has looked really good this month, David. Is he different? I would I would say I've been impressed too. Um, mm-hmm. I've definitely been impressed. To beat a guy like Sinner, you know, talk about bad draw for both of them. You know, yeah. given that we're, we're seeing uh, like like we just talked about Wolf, Sheldon. These are Wolf. two players who are like, we, we should both make the finals on the top half of the draw. It's bullshit. <laughs> we have to play each other right now. Oh yeah, and I think that yeah, Sissipas, his uh, mentally to Konyo you know, lose the next you know third and four sets and still hang in there mentally you know even though Sinner had all the momentum I think that was really impressive. I think that his serve is one of the best serves and one of the best place serves in men's tennis. And I think that like you said, his backhand he's able to hide it pretty damn well. And I think that his net play is also something that we don't know that people don't talk about a lot, but that is super impressive. I think that he be yeah he had to beat two very informed players in Halise and Greeksport to get to the fourth round that against center. I think that he you know destroyed Ijikata in the second round. I I think that he I would be surprised if he does not come out of the top half of the draw, given what I've seen from him. I think that do I think he wins the tournament? I guess depends on if Novak. I think he's a second favorite behind Novak, though. Yeah, no, um, I mean that's literally, maybe is that what the odds say? I don't literally second favorite behind Novak okay. right now. Um, no, I mean look, I do think there's just a confidence he's playing with right now. There is an aura surrounding him, and again, it's worth noting for Tsitsipas, he's now won his first eight matches of this 2023 season. Pretty decent slate as well. Berrettini, Sinner. 
an informed GoFan and United Cup, an informed Dimitrov who reached the third round and didn't drop a set on his way there at this Australian Open. He dominated Hijikata. He beat a Greek Spore who was on a seven-match win streak entering their third round battle. He beat him in straight sets as well. You look for Tsitsipas who fought off 22 of 26 break points last night, which is freaking crazy. Tsitsipas through four matches has been broken six total times. He's played what? Five plus nine, 14 sets. He's been broken six times. That's pretty darn good. He's been a top five server for the past three years, and I just think he continues to improve around the edges in that service game, continues to improve his first serve win percentage because of how much more efficient he's become with that first strike. And ultimately, for all the you know huffing and puffing Sinner did, it was Tsitsipas who was able to blow the door down You know, with that serve forehand combination that just kind of wore Sinner out in the end. And then you know, Tsitsipas connects on a couple of returns the, the passing shot he hit in the second set to secure the break, the on-the-run forehand flip cross was exceptional. And I do think Tsitsipas has gotten even better as a mover. It just feels like I would never want to challenge. I don't care if Tsitsipas knows it's coming. I'm never challenging his on-the-run forehand because I think he hits that ball extraordinarily well. I mean, yeah, you look at the top half of the draw. Well, that leads me to my next question, David, because is this Tsitsipas different? We'll get the chance to see. As certainly he will be the favorite. He takes on Yuri Lachetchka next. Lachetchka making sure the next-gen finals bump is real, the finalist at the next-gen finals last year, into the fourth round, excuse me, quarterfinals of this Australian Open. First main draw at a slam, first quarterfinal. I mean, or not first main draw at a slam, sorry, first Australian Open main draw, first quarterfinal. Or is this his first main draw to slam, David? Um, it might be. Let me. I'll look I, it up in a second. But I, I can look it up. I'm, I'm, cause yeah. I, I think it might be, but it's question. his first. It's certainly his first quarterfinal in Australia. First time um, competing there as well, and or competing in the main draw there, and. I mean, no, well, he made the uh, first round of French Open, Wimbledon, U.S. Open last yeah, year. Yeah, so it's his first Australian Open. That's what it was, yes. Um, so look, I mean, you look for Lachetchka. The serve, the forehand have always been his calling card. But David, the movement, he outplayed FAA backhand to backhand last night significantly. He probably outserved and forehand him as well, or at least kept pace with him. Obviously, you have that on the top half of the draw. You have Sebastian Corda, who we already discussed. But then, how about Karen Hatchnov? Listen to this list. There are 10 active ATP players. Shout out to at Anna K underscore forever. 10 active ATP players who have reached at least the quarterfinals at all four slams. Djokovic and Nadal have won them all. Murray's made the finals at all of them. Chilich has made the semifinals everywhere. And then Berrettini, Delpo, Nishikori, Wawrinka, Sinner, and now Karen Hatchinov, who follows up his U.S. Open semifinal with an Australian Open quarterfinal 0-0-5 yesterday over Nishioka. I mean, let's start with Lehechka. Where are you with Yuri as we enter the second week? So I watched Yuri play actually in United Cup when he beat uh, Alexander Zverev. Sure. And I just remember the first thing that came to my mind was, my gosh, there's great pop off his grand strokes. My yeah. God, the ball is just exploding off. But he's head. always had that. Yeah, I was just saying in general. You know, yeah, the first thing when I looked, yeah, you know, when I looked at sure. him, um, and I think that his movement's terrific. He's that's he's, the difference to me. But carry on. Oh no, yeah. So his movement's great. I think that um, 
He's solid from both wings. And I think that he gets great depth on his. I talk a lot in my articles about consistent depth. Like, can you keep the ball consistently in that, uh, you know, near the baseline? And I think that he does a great job of that. He has a high tennis IQ. He knows the meaning, like he knows the right times to attack. He knows when to just keep it in play. He doesn't try to pull the trigger too early. And his run in Australia has been terrific. Um, Born a Chorich in the first round. Uh, he dealt with Eubanks' big serve in the second round. And then Cam Norrie and FAA in the third and fourth rounds. And I have to say, uh, unfortunately, Lehechka took me out of my survivor pool when he beat Cam Norrie. Uh, so I was a little upset about that, but he deserved it. To beat Norrie, you know, a physical player like Norrie in five sets, especially after losing the first set in the way he did, 10-8 in the first set tiebreak, Super impressive. And then also going down 2-1 um, in terms of like two sets to one. I think there was a really impressive effort. It was over three hours. It showed he could physically hang in there. Do I think he beat Tsitsipas though? No. Um, I think Tsitsipas is at just another level in terms of the, like we were we were saying before with the serve, the forehand, the net play. I just think that every, he does Thing, he just is a better player, essentially, than Lehechka. Um, But I think that this is a warning sign to the rest of the tour that him and and his Czech buddy, uh, Tomas Machak, Machak is com- are both coming, and they're going to be mainstays in the uh, in the you know ATP Tour tournaments now. <laughs> yeah, now he's got serious – again, the serve of the forehand or top 50 quality. If he continues to move like this in this newfound fluidity in his backhand wing – He's confident moving forward. Again, he out-executed Felix yesterday. That was remarkably impressive. What about Hatchnov? 27, uh, 26 years old, turns 27 this year, has now made the quarters of every ma- uh, slam that he's played, has been a top 25 guy now for five consecutive years, which, by the way, is not easy to do. Now, he hasn't won a major, uh, hasn't won a title excuse me, since Paris, only two finals, Olympics, and I think Adelaide since then. Uh, U.S. Open semifinalist last year, now a quarterfinalist here to kick things off in Australia. You look for him in the live rankings, Hatchinov, back up to number 17 with this run. I mean, again, takes on a Sebi quarter coming off of a five-set thriller against Hubie Hurkacz. How much does the 22-year-old American have left in the tank after the big mental drain that is Medvedev, the five-set taxation of the Hurkacz match? Tsitsipas with his weapons, could he overwhelm that backhand? Certainly there's a possibility there. If he plays the Hechka, he'll be the heavy favorite, certainly, to reach the finals. Where are you with Hatchinov? Do you still have any stock left? Um, Well, with this this happened to draw, sure. I think, <laughs> I think he can make the final. I would not be shocked if he beat Korda and Steph. I, I think Steph probably makes it, but would it shock me? I think the thing about Hatchinov is in that Paris – masters tournament where he beat Djokovic what stood out to me then was the serve in the four and the just his ability to take the ball early and just just he was crushing the ball that tournament um and he overwhelmed his opponent with pace here's the thing about catching up though is he is pretty damn consistent too where he he can just he can extend rallies he can play that physical brand of tennis he but and I think that he balances it very well. Um, kind of what I was talking about with uh, Lehechka, that when he can he can play power tennis, but he can also just roll balls back. I think he had like a ridiculously long uh, rally uh, against uh, Kubler. And remember that was uh, making the rounds on social media on set point. Um, 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, the 70 shot rally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he yeah, can yeah. Play those type of points too. He's not always trying to end the points early. I think that he, I think that he's a pros pro. He's a pros pro. He's gonna always, you know, give his best effort. I think he's gonna always beat, or not always, but often beat the players that he's supposed to beat, which we were talking about earlier. Which is how he's made gone deep in so many different events. He was. I, there was a moment in that uh, rude uh, Kachanov match at the U.S. Open last year. I think the Kachanov took the third set, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to myself, huh, he might come back and do this and make a Grand Slam final, mm-hmm. which didn't happen. But at the same time, I think that he is not going to be scared of this moment. I, I know he's a slight underdog to quarter right now, but I think he probably beats Sebi. Mm-hmm. Hmm, no, not probably. I think it's better than the odds indicate. Well, as of right now, you look, according to our friends at DraftKings, to reach the final out of the top half or to win the quarter. Well, I suppose we're almost there. To reach the final. Um, interesting. They don't have any of the top half guys. Oh, no, they do. They have Pass as the favorite to come out of the top half, then Korda, then Hachinov, and then in a distant third, uh, fourth, excuse me, is Yuri Lachetchka. Look, Hatchinov, we've always said on paper, 6-6, big serve, big forehand, fluid backhand, is always ready to play four-plus hours of tennis. This is another window for him. I, there's no way he looks at the draw and sees any of these guys and are afraid. Like, again, he beat Korda in that five-set thriller they played at Wimbledon a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last season, but I think it was two years ago. It was my two memory years ago, yeah. Yeah, because Hatchinov couldn't have played last year's Wimbledon. I remember that, man. Look, he's playing oh, good tennis. He played well against Tiafo, and he followed it up well against Nishoko. You're right, it was a tough one for Sebi. This could be the moment we look back and we're like, oh, yeah, Sebi Korda, this was his breakout moment, and he's a top 10 guy for the rest of his career. That narrative is definitely on the table. But Tsitsipas, I think he is a little different right now. Hachinov is playing with such confidence that we just haven't seen in months. And with all that said, before I let you go, D- David, let's make some predictions. How do you, Let's just get to it. Finalist, champion, who you got? Give me your predictions for how it all breaks down. Actually, semi-finalist, finals, champion. Okay. Okay, so I'm just going to go straight down the draw, okay? Yep. Um, so Kachanov, Tsitsipas, um, for the— uh, Yep, for, for the, the top half. half. Um, and then I have Tsitsipas being Kachanov, let's say, in four sets. Um, okay. Just because I just think that Steph, like you, he's he, he's improving. And I think that you the backhand, like you said, becoming a little more solid, Kachanov won't be able to attack that wing— quite as easily maybe would two years ago. Um, and I just really think that uh, Pass his serve is low-key, one of the best serves in the men's game. Um, and I just tr- I just trust his power game a little more than Kachanov's. Um, bottom half, Brunette, I think, plays Djokovic. I think... I think I love... I've talked up Brunette nonstop, so I'm going to... But at the same time, it's... I'm going to have Djokovic beat Rune in five sets. Okay. Um, and then on the bottom, I have, I'm going to have Sheldon play RBA and I'm going to have RBA win. So I okay. think the semifinals is going to be, is going to be 
a repeat. I talked about RBA playing in the Wimbledon semifinals in 2019 when he played Novak Djokovic and he lost in four sets. And I think that it's the exact same result here where Djokovic will beat RBA in four sets. So it'll be Djokovic, Tsitsipas in the finals. And I think Djokovic wins in four sets. All right. There it is. David what do you Gertler. think? I've been on the quarter bandwagon so hard this month. Kachanov is a tough Does he customer. get two days off? I believe the match is scheduled. I thought it was. Is it tomorrow? I thought it was tomorrow. And it might be. I, I The whole Australian Open scheduling. Yeah, I don't remember is... if it's two days off after round four of the quarterfinals. If it's two days off after this, I'd take quarter. I think it's only one, though. I think you're right. So I'm going to go. Uh... I'll go Hatchinov for Tsitsipas. I'll take. Yeah, so you think Hatchinov wins too? Yeah, and I think Tsitsipas gets to the final. I agree with you. I think it's a Tsitsipas Djokovic final. I think Djokovic is going to play Tommy in the end. I think Tommy's just on a different level right now, and physically, he's just going to be ready for this RBA challenge. It's not that dissimilar from the Brooksby battle in facing RBA, and so I, I like, think he's ready. I like for RBA's this. weapons more. Than no, it's fair. I, I I agree with you, but I just like Tommy in this match. But I think Djokovic gets through, and I think Djokovic ultimately captures. Now, slam. who do you have winning Rublev Rune? I'll go Rublev just to disagree with you, but uh, I think it's going to be a really good match. I think it'll be a five-set thriller. I take the over let more me than ask anything you else. Let me ask you this, because I mentioned before how I think that Alcaraz, and, it's going to be Alcaraz and Rune at the top of the men's game. Do you agree or disagree with that? Two years for, or three, three, two, three years from now. No, because all the next gen guys are still the original next gen guys are still going to be pretty young. So I still think they're you know three years from now, Kasparov's going to be like twenty six. Um, you know, Zverev's going to be like twenty nine, and Medvedev's going to be thirty. Like they're all still going to be in the mix. Um, yeah. I think Sinner needs to be in that top of that conversation. Sinner, I yes, Felix, I agree. I, I think Felix I like Sinner more be, than. Yeah, I think Felix needs to be up there too, personally. I like Sinner as much as I like Alcaraz, but that's just a me thing. No, um, I agree. I actually agree with you there. Yeah, that's one of my takes. I like his uh, – our dear friend Gil Gross, I always tell him, and we say it jokingly, but I'll be pro Sinner and he's pro Alcaraz, and we'll just ride those two takes for the next decade and have a lot of fun with it. I feel pretty confident in – but there's a lot – they're all really good. Like I, Again, yeah. I, I elevated Runa to Tier 1 after last year. I think that I think you made a great point, and I because I, I think Sinner will be right next to uh, Rune and uh, Alcaraz, and I it'll be interesting. I think Sinner. De- I think in the next two years, Sinner will win a major. Yeah, I don't I know like, which one. Do you think two? Do you agree? No, with that? I always say by January first, twenty thirty. That's my definition of oh, tier wow. one. As he will win one this decade. I'm still not sure when and where. Um, okay. But with all that said, David Gertler, speaking of when and where, when and where can we expect to read you next? So I uh, probably uh, the Action Network. I have a piece on Sabalenka or sorry, not that my mind's on Sabalenka because I'm excited to see your match against Benchich, uh tonight. Uh, I have a match on Pagula is playing as Arenka. Um, so I will break that down. I will preview. I like Jess's chances. Um, and. I am also going to talk about, uh, I have an article out on Rybakina. I pronounced it right. Uh, <laughs> Ostapenko. I used to call, I remember I called her Rybakina once and you were uh, you were not having that. Uh, <laughs> it's, I know it's Rybakina. Um, she's playing Ostapenko in the uh, quarterfinals. That's the tennis, I fear for the tennis balls. Um, I think that um, 
we're back in a I right now I'm leaning her to make the final in the top half, like I said before, um, over Pagula, but that will be an interesting semifinal if it happens. Um, but this so though essentially what I'm trying to say, and I know I'm being long-winded, those I'm gonna have articles on both of those matches out. No, Soon. I'm no, I'm looking forward to it all. Again, be long-winded. We want to know what you're up to. That's exactly what uh, our Cracked Rackets Well, what are you up to? Have you been watching the – has the breakpoint stuff? I watched the – so I watched the first half of the first episode. I said I turned that uh, turned that <laughs> off. I said that's <laughs> terrible. Um, what do you think? I think you should watch till episode two because episode two is a lot better in my opinion than episode one. And I, I'm we're about to do our episode three breakdown tonight. I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to watch it today, but two is much better than one. So give it another chance. Okay, I, I that would be my suggestion to you. But again, the real thing you should be watching, David, is Michigan tennis. We're a tennis school now. We beat Tennessee four one, although they just lost to Wake Forest four three. Unbelievable unbelievable start to the Tennessee and Oklahoma season. So unbelievable. How about speaking of college tennis, how about Diana Schneider? She's going, you like it. I I am. I I actually am a fan of Schneider. And it was funny because when Sakari was like, Oh, she's screaming. And I'm thinking to myself, you're one to complain. You're the one screaming across the net uh, all the time and causing a scene. Uh, so she was complaining that Schneider was doing that. I don't buy that. Um, Sakari, by the way, I know, again, I know th- this is a men's one. I just want to say Sakari is such a disappointment. Uh, I really, her mental game is just not up to par. I give it a second. I'm too, you're selling too soon in my opinion. But uh, I again, she was, uh, uh, she had what, two points away from beating Krejcikova in the semifinals of the French Open two years ago? Like, that was the match that broke her. That was like the match that broke her back, though. There is a little bit of a through line, but she's been a top ten player for two consecutive years. In a year, in an era defined by inconsistency, she has been a consistent presence until this, like until the pressure's on. Well, we'll agree to disagree. Think about the Radican when when she she should have won that U.S. Open twenty twenty one, you know, and then she laid a massive egg, and she, maybe that was the match that broke. Okay, but she beat back. Schneider, like. Yeah, but then I'm just thinking about the zoo match too. There yeah, was, was no tough. reason that zoo that should have beat her, and she looked visibly tight in the Schneider match as well. These are all fair points. Pulling but... up on the forehand, but okay, I know. No, I know. I was gonna say I don't mean to be rude. I just again, we've opened the Pandora's box. I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, so with all that said. For the fantastic David Gertler, our Cracked Rackets contributor extraordinaire, who is always a pleasure to have on the show. For our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a great job to do day in, day out, making everything possible. And from our dear friends at Tennis Point, remember tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 from each of them and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, David. Thank you so much. And thank Daniel too. He, I know he worked so hard to pull this off. <laughs>